Welcome to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about the ongoing non-citizen migrant crisis impacting Illinois taxpayers and the latest status of some of the litigation against Illinois' gun ban. I'll then join the Center Square's Dan McCaleb to further discuss those stories and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Are you tired of news that puts politics over people? At the nonprofit Franklin News Foundation, we believe in putting people over politics by delivering nonpartisan news and audio content that serves you, the American taxpayer. With Franklin News Foundation, you can read fact-based, state-focused news for free at thecentersquare.com. You can listen to civil, balanced conversations between policy experts through our podcast network at americastalking.com. Or you can get in-depth news on K-12 education spending, curriculum, and school safety at chalkboardnews.com. It's all free through Franklin, where we put you, the American taxpayer, first in every story, episode, and conversation. And it's only possible through our supporters. Together, we can produce content that puts people over politics and brings Americans the news they deserve. Become a supporter today at franklinnews.org donate. Once again, that's franklinnews.org slash donate. Welcome back to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Plaintiffs seeking to delay the state's gun ban registry are responding to the state's filing, asking a judge to dismiss the case. In a motion to dismiss plaintiffs' request the January 1st deadline be delayed, the state said it's given sufficient notice of the registry requirements. Costas Morris, an attorney with Mitchell & Associates representing plaintiffs, filed a reply this week and said the state's emergency rules have changed several times, even as early as this week. Typically, people have months or years before things take effect. Now they have days. The state also said if the judge issues an injunction, it should be narrow. Morris didn't want to predict how Judge Stephen McGlynn will rule. All we're trying to do here is preserve the status quo for longer so people can have more time to figure this out so the litigation can play out and we see if registration is even constitutional because if the core ban is unconstitutional, that would put registration into question. Oral arguments are December 12th, the same day the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules will take up the latest edits of rules from the Illinois State Police. Meanwhile, the U.S. Supreme Court plaintiffs, Beavis v. Naperville, filed a response to the state's reply in the U.S. Supreme Court for an emergency preliminary injunction to be denied. The next steps in that U.S. Supreme Court case have not been published. As the number of non-citizen arrivals continue to increase, so does the criticism from state legislators over the use of taxpayer funds and a lack of accountability of Governor J.B. Pritzker and Chicago officials. Andrew Hensel has that story. City officials have been looking at public places that could be turned into housing for the migrants. Some of the locations have fallen through, leading to more spending. Pritzker was asked what the state is doing to shelter the arrivals now that locations are becoming more and more limited. We literally have people working day in and day out in the same room uh, talking to one another and um, and we're going to continue to do that. We have to solve these problems to make sure that we're keeping the migrants safe. State Rep Brad Hallbrook said Pritzker needs to be clearer about what is happening with the taxpayers' money. I believe there's a lack of accountability. I believe there's a lack of transparency. Uh, anytime that you move these large sums of the money in a short period of time is a cause for concern. Chicago aldermen have also been critical of Mayor Brandon Johnson's handling of the migrant situation. I'm Andrew Hensel. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, I'll join the Center Square's Dan McCaleb to further discuss the news. 
This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Knowledge is power, and you deserve to know what happens in your state government. That's why the nonprofit Franklin News Foundation is bringing you straight news journalism through the center square, reporting on state authorities and publishing stories that show where your money goes and who spends it. By supporting the center square, you can track politicians' use of taxpayer money and demand transparency from elected officials. This is how we can equip everyday Americans to hold their government accountable. Become a supporter of Franklin today at franklinnews.org donate. Greetings and welcome to Illinois in Focus, powered by the Center Square. I am Dan McCaleb, Vice President of News and Content at the Franklin News Foundation, publisher of the Center Square Newswire service. Joining me again today is Greg Bishop, the Center Square's Illinois Capitol Bureau Senior Reporter and Editor. How are you today, Greg? Dan, uh, it sounds like my title continues to grow. Uh, Fantastic. I'm looking forward to the end of the year, but uh, it's not a slow time in the news business, that's for sure. It sure is not, uh, Greg. uh, We are recording this on Thursday, December 7th, and the legal drama over Illinois' gun ban and registry continues as new arguments were filed this week in a federal court challenge to the law, and oral arguments are scheduled for next week. This is all playing out as the January 1st deadline looms for individuals who previously owned these now-banned guns to register those weapons with the state. Greg, you are the only reporter in the state of Illinois who has been covering this story which is so important to many of our readers at thecentersquare.com and our listeners at Illinois in Focus. You're the only one who's covered this story every step of the way. Bring everyone up to speed on the latest developments. Yeah, so the case you mentioned there was in the Southern District of Illinois in front of Stephen McGlynn, and it's about the gun ban registry deadline of January 1st. Uh, Also this week, Dan, we had two U.S. Supreme Court uh, uh, case movements that were pretty substantial as well, taking the case to the the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, pretty precedent setting when it comes to where we've come from January 10th. So background again, you know, January 10th, Governor J.B. Pritzker enacted a ban on semi-automatic firearms and magazines over a certain capacity. And it also included a registry and that registry was set to open October 1st with the January 1st, 2024 deadline kicking in with criminal penalties if people did not register their grandfathered semi-automatic firearms. So in between when the law was enacted January 10th to where we're at now, there have been lawsuits filed in the Northern District of Illinois and the Southern District of Illinois. Those have gone to the appeals court and federal court, uh, also going to the U.S. Supreme Court. You also had cases in state courts that were filed, one of those being state representative Dan Calkins. And he took his case to the Illinois Supreme Court after getting final judgment in the county court. And they ended up going to the Illinois Supreme Court and alleging conflict of interest with two Illinois Supreme Court justices. In August, after the Illinois Supreme Court justices refused to recuse themselves, we now have that case in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. So there are multiple avenues. This law is being challenged here now with three weeks left before the January 1st deadline. And this week, there was a lot of happenings in this case. Now, step back to that 
Southern District case. It deals with the gun ban registry. Federal Firearms Licensees of Illinois brought that case out of the appeals court and said, while they're dealing with the Second Amendment question, we need to deal with the issue of the gun registry because they say due process was not followed. They're claiming that the state police waited until the last minute to promulgate emergency gun ban registration rules. Those rules were filed on September 15th, two weeks before October 1st, when the the registry opened. But there are substantial questions. While these emergency rules are in place, Illinois State Police did hold public hearings. But many people attending those public hearings say they did not get their questions answered. Uh, So Illinois State Police, even this week, filed new updated emergency rules. Uh, So those are now in front of the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules. They're set to meet December 12th to take those rules up. That's that bipartisan committee of state legislators that review administrative rules. But what's fascinating, Dan, and, and watching this as close as I have, how these things are starting to really come into place in the in the last three weeks here. JCAR is set to meet to deal with the second notice emergency rules December 12th in the morning. And they could either say they are fine with the rules and not act on anything. They could object to the rules, which would be kind of like saying to the courts, listen, the legislature objects to this. Or to uh, December 12th, they could say that the rules are suspended. So that's a possibility December 12th. But that's the same day that the Southern District of Illinois, Federal Judge Stephen McGlynn, is set to hear oral arguments in the case asking that the January 1st deadline be delayed. So, again, that's the Southern District case. At the U.S. Supreme Court, you've got Dan Calkins's state case challenging the Illinois Supreme Court's conflict of interest concerns. That was had some movement this week with Justice Amy Coney Barrett of the U.S. Supreme Court advancing that case to conference with the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, they don't meet until January 5th. Of course, that's days after the January 1st deadline. So any action from that case. We'll have to wait until after the new year. But on a separate case out of Naperville that was actually filed against the city's ban in August of 2022, they amended that complaint to include Illinois' ban after it was enacted January 10th. That's the furthest long case, and it went to the Seventh Circuit consolidated with other cases. But the plaintiffs there went right to the U.S. Supreme Court. And there the state has filed a response and the U.S. Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett has also got now a response from the plaintiffs. So that's another case that's advanced. It's been a pretty busy week when it comes to the litigation against Illinois' gun ban. Greg, I hate to have to do this uh, on the Illinois in Focus podcast, but with all of these cases looming, um, all the uncertainty about the law, potential rulings coming out at any time. I'm, I'm going to have to cancel Christmas for you. Are you okay with that? You might have to just work. Well, Justice Stephen McGlynn, uh, the Southern <laughs> District Judge, uh, he did say uh, that he is, and I think I just promoted Judge Stephen McGlynn of the Southern District. Uh, he did say that he, he hopes to get a ruling on the request to delay the January 1st deadline. He looks to get a ruling before Christmas. Now, whether that Southern District ruling is in favor of the plaintiffs, we don't know. But if it is in favor of the plaintiffs, I think regardless, it could go to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. So I hope that they don't do anything around Christmas, but I'll have my email open if you need me. I was kind of kidding, Greg, but you are, as I said up front, you are the only really reporter in the state of Illinois who's covering this case as thoroughly as you have been. And I know you'll be on top of it. 
please let not let, let not there be any like Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve surprises in these cases. Want you to be able to enjoy enjoy the holidays um, uh, with your family, etc. Um, any any last comments on this before we move on to the next topic, Greg? Well, I would just encourage people to to follow closely the centersquare.com uh, where we will be posting uh, the latest developments on all of these cases uh, as we continue to watch what unfolds. Thank you for that, uh, uh, Greg. Moving on, though, Greg, Illinois' senior U.S. Senator Dick Durbin is coming under fire for allegedly blocking subpoenas um, um, for flight logs tied to uh, the late Jeffrey S. Epstein. Just to remind listeners of who Jeffrey Epstein is, he, uh, he, um, he allegedly flew underage girls to this private Caribbean island and brought in who knows who, many feel, uh, high, highly ele- or elected officials, etc., others to have, um, uh, sex essentially with underage girls. Epstein was found dead, um, in his jail cell. Um, where he faced countless charges uh, for this for this this scheme, authorities officially say it was a suicide. Some critics have doubted that. Anyway, what's going on with the U.S. Senator Dick Durbin when it relates to this case? Yeah, it's been interesting to kind of uh, you know passively sit back and watch some of what's happened in the U.S. Senate, and uh, that's its own character, right? I mean, of course, we watch closely what happens at the Illinois State House, but over in Washington D.C. There's tons of drama unfolding. You've got the House with Republican control. They just apparently filed, uh, uh, you know, uh, some some uh, motions to have an impeachment inquiry officially. Uh, so that's playing out there. While in the Senate, you've got um, the Democrat-controlled Senate. And it's pretty evenly split, uh, but uh, with Vice President Harris as the uh, you know, tiebreaker, uh, clearly the Democrats are in control. Uh, they've moved forward with uh, uh, different types of subpoenas for. You know, the social media companies, Republicans have been on board with some of that, uh, but they're also going through and filing subpoenas for records of uh, others. Like, for instance, maybe something associated with ethics around the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, but in all of this conversation that Democrats are trying to put out there and, and have these motions advance, uh, you had uh, Republicans wanting their own motions. And in particular, you have uh, a senator. Um, let me uh, make sure I've got uh, I've got this right. Uh, uh, Marsha Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, she called out Senator Durbin for not acknowledging her request in a in a discussion uh, to to have the flight logs, the private flight logs of Jeffrey Epstein's plane. She wanted those released through a subpoena to Congress. Um, Dan, you know, again, watching this kind of from a distance, the Epstein saga, uh, you know, one of the big, you know, questions is, yes, Epstein allegedly, you know, had this this ring uh, elicit, you know, human trafficking of sorts. And Ghislaine Maxwell is serving prison for it. But people have a question about, well, who were his clients? And that's really where this comes down to. But when it comes to the request that uh, the the uh, the senator from Kentucky made, uh, Durbin brushed it off and alleged that he never heard about this request. But we went back and found the record. And indeed, uh, Marsha Blackburn, she requested uh, such information to be included in these round of subpoenas that are going out for more information on a variety of things. Uh, and this was her request to, to get that out. And uh, apparently that request was denied. Uh, so there's uh, a lot of criticism uh, going uh, Durbin's way. 
Just a quick clarification, uh, Greg, uh, uh, Senator Blackburn is a Republican from Tennessee. You just um, you, you said Kentucky. Just just wanted to clarify that. Appreciate that. So Senator Durbin has been criticized for this. We don't know. We have no idea. So I guess I'm asking you to speculate. I mean, I, I think America as a whole um, is wants to know the same thing, wants to know who Jeffrey Epstein's clients were. You know, there's plenty of speculation that they were powerful individuals um, who he was taking to this Caribbean island where he had the underage girls at. I mean, do you expect Durbin to issue that subpoena or to approve the uh, issuance of that subpoena? Again, I know I'm asking you to speculate, which is not a great thing. Well, I think that really depends on how much attention a subject gets as to whether you do see some kind of reaction, right? Uh, and I think that that's uh, just in general terms. So the louder something gets, uh, maybe the more likely uh, it's to be addressed. Uh, so again, just in, in general terms, uh, that's kind of how I see something of this magnitude uh, playing out. The only reason, I, I can't think of a good reason why you wouldn't want to subpoena those records, um, unless you're trying to hide something. Not saying that Senator Durbin is trying to hide anything. I just, you know, it seems like that would be the natural thing to do. Anyway, let's move on, Greg. A new, a new report came out um, this week from the American Tort Reform Foundation. And yet again, uh, as it is almost every year, Cook County has been listed in its judicial hellhole report. In fact, Cook County courts, the Cook County court system overall, ranks as the second worst in the country. Why is that, Greg? Yeah, there's a a variety of factors uh, at play here when it comes to Illinois law and how certain plaintiffs in, uh, you know, bodily harm cases uh, might be able to uh, find favor uh, in the court system. Uh, There's also questions about the ongoing uh, concerns of the Biometric Information Privacy Act. That's BIPA. That's the measure that uh, says you can't take somebody's face prints or their thumbprints without their explicit permission. Uh, That was passed back in 2008, and we've seen a slew of lawsuits uh, around that uh, particular issue with some high dollars attached to it. I mean, even just in uh, Illinois, uh, there was millions of dollars that uh, Meta, Facebook parent company, had to pay out because of a settlement in a BIPA case. Uh, So you've got, uh, you know, the, the, the ongoing issues of how business is impacted by the court system and uh, in particular uh, Illinois joining the likes of you know California and New York um, has some of the, the the most food and beverage class action lawsuits uh, when it comes to BIPA lawsuits one thing that uh, the American Tort Reform uh, Foundation found was that uh, a lot of the biometric information privacy lawsuits are uh, represented um, by one, particular company. Uh, So around 1,100 BIPA cases pending in Illinois, uh, just seven law firms are representing those cases uh, of 70% of the plaintiffs in those cases. So that's a, that's a, it seems to be a, an industry of sorts. And that's something that uh, the American tort reform foundation is highlighting with this report. Uh, But they go even further. Uh, They do highlight how uh, the, the, the millions of dollars, uh, that's, you know, paid out in what they call nuclear verdicts and Illinois, uh, was among the states for, you know, having the most nuclear verdicts or were the sixth most, uh, and, uh, that, that hits businesses, uh, but it also hits taxpayers. Uh, and, uh, you've got the, uh, the economic impacts of it, 
uh, when it comes to businesses not wanting to move to Illinois, uh, when it comes to even just the taxpayer cost of the court system. And I've seen previous reports like this. Uh, the American Tort Reform Foundation has had several counties on its hellhole list for year after year after year, uh, especially when it comes to uh, mesothelioma cases, for instance. Uh, but uh, what you see also is not just the the taxpayer cost of the court system being tied up with this stuff, but it also ties up the ability for the regular citizen to you know utilize the court system in some instances uh, in a judicious and ex- expeditious fashion. Uh, so there's a lot of things at play when it comes to reviewing how county court systems are operating in Illinois and across the country, and that's something that uh, the American Tort Reform Foundation does every year. Based on the cost. What you call the nuclear verdicts, which are jury verdicts of more than $10 million, um, based on the BIPA law um, and and the losses businesses have suffered uh, in court cases through that, um, the American Tort, uh, excuse me, the American Tort Reform Foundation places places the taxpayer cost in Illinois to for every single person at $1,700 a year. One more story to talk about, uh, Greg, and it's a story that's become a regular uh, on Illinois in focus, and that has to do with the migrant crisis, particularly um, in Chicago. Chicago taxpayers, state taxpayers, continue to spend more and more money on this crisis um, since President Biden's uh, been in office. More than 10 million uh, illegal border crossings have been um, have been noted, and um, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, the El Paso's Democratic mayor, they've been they've been busing. Many of these might, because they can no longer deal with the amounts, the hundreds of thousands that are coming across the border every single month. They're busing them to so-called sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. Chicago is a sanctuary city. Illinois is a sanctuary state. And um, Illinois taxpayers and Chicago taxpayers are combined um, spending hundreds of millions of dollars on care for this, including finding shelters for them. Uh, a couple of developments um, uh, this week. Uh, 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 one mayor Johnson had, had planned for this, uh, tent city, unbeknownst to uh, a lot of uh, neighbors in the community where it was going to go up. Um, neighbors are starting to push back and, and, and aldermen, city aldermen are now saying, Hey, we need to be transparent about this and get the public's input. Tell us more. Yeah, it's a humanitarian crisis that uh, is uh, somewhat untenable when you look at the number of people that were sleeping in police station lobbies uh, and the number of tents that are being seen across the city. Uh, You've got to think about the temperatures dropping and whether or not it's sufficient to use city buses as warming buses. So there was a, a big push to try to get some actual physical housing set up. And it's been months in discussion. Um, we've gotten to the point here where uh, some fingers are starting to point back and forth uh, as to why we're in the situation where there's not a real cohesive plan set forward. Uh, and the state and the city are saying that they have uh, different uh, uh, functions in all of this. Uh, while the, the state has stepped up and provided $160 million more for everything from housing to food, uh, the city is uh, you know contracting with companies to uh, you know, provide services and housing. Uh, you've seen uh, the, the Brighton Park facility that was supposed to be a base camp tent costing $30 million. We're trying to find out just how much of that's already been spent, even though the Brighton Park facility is on hold because of toxic 
chemicals that were found in the soil. Uh, so that's uh, that's something that city officials are having to deal with. But uh, when it comes to the overall taxpayer cost, uh, the, the 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 administration of the of the city uh, and even other cities uh, have have really just asked Washington D.C. for more taxpayer money. Uh, while some over in New York, for instance, may say that the border needs to be secured, uh, we haven't heard that as explicitly uh, from Illinois' leaders. Thank you for your insight into these very important stories. Listeners can keep up with them at thecentersquare.com. But we are out of time. For Greg Bishop, I'm Dan McCaleb. Please subscribe. Thank you for listening.